Hello, friends. Welcome back to another year of the USET podcast, where we talk about all things Utah education and technology. I would like to take a second to introduce myself as the new host for this year. My name is Kira Bettis, and I've been a secondary history and ELA classroom teacher for 10 years and have just recently switched to become an ed tech teacher specialist with Jordan School District. I am also a new member of the USET board, and I am excited to take on the USET podcast as one of my projects. You can find me on Twitter at KBettis, that's at K-B-E-D-D-E-S, to extend the conversation. For our first episode of the year, we are talking about how to seek out, join, and participate in meaningful professional learning communities with our guests, Ian Davey from Ogden School District and Pam Turley from Nebo School District. We are so excited to get into the discussion with them today. Our recording of this podcast episode. I'm so grateful you guys are here. Um, so today, just as a way to kind of get us into the conversation, um, can you tell us your name, the school district that you're connected with, and your top three favorite things? Your favorite things. Um, I'm Pam Turley. I'm from Nebel School District. Uh, I don't know in any particular order, but I'd have to say Google would be one of my top things, all things Google. Uh, my grandkids, I have 30 grandkids, so that probably would be above Google, but barely. And um, I really enjoy playing pickleball and tennis. All right, and my name is Ian Davey. I'm a digital teaching and learning specialist in Ogden School District. Uh, my top three things, I would say uh, my family. Um, I would say... Um, my garden, really like to garden, and if I was gonna uh, pick a third, I I will also say Google as well, since that's a big part of what I do day to day. I love it. Um, okay, so our topic at hand today is talking about um, professional learning communities, and that sounds kind of stuffy, but like finding a group of people that you gel with and that make work enjoyable. Um, and so I wanted to kind of dig into this by starting off with kind of a broad topic. Um, how are teaching and learning changing? I think one thing that is changing is that um, there's so much information at our fingertips right now. We really truly live in the information age and at the fingertips of, of our students. So we don't really need to be memorizing or having them memorizing facts anymore and lists or memorizing dates for history. And so the emphasis is more on the, pro on the process of gaining knowledge and thinking and doing that and processing on the process than on the product itself. And that coupled with the increase of technology, like we've seen in our district, it, when I first started my position about 15 years ago, our emphasis was on you know, PowerPoint and then the Google products, it was all on teacher presentation. And now we're almost one-to-one -one in our district and the emphasis is on what students are doing. So it's, it's changed from uh, teachers presenting material to them just the facilitating the process of learning for their students. I completely agree with that, and just to to build on that, like we're we're it, in prior years, it was completely acceptable 
to just have teachers using technology. And that, that checked the box and we were able to move on and focus on other things. But now we're, we're looking at what the teacher is doing from their actions and their behaviors, and then how does that impact student learning? Like, what does that mean? If students are doing this, what do the teachers do to create that? And then on the student end, like Pam was saying, you know, getting students to create and getting students to do and to, um, you know, have that student agency and their voice comes through in the learning. And it's, it's all about, it, it all comes from that, you know, information is out there. We can move past information and we can move to, you know, what are students learning and what are they going to apply out of that learning and how are they going to use that um, as, you know, not just in their learning, but how are they going to use that in their careers, in college, in their, in their lives outside of the classroom as well. I'd like to add to that again. I think the downside of that is because information is out there. If we focus on the information, then students are just, um, they have that instant, they want instant knowledge, instant gratification. There's the instant answers. I don't know about in your district, but we have teachers asking us all the time, how can I lock down this browser so my students can Google the answer to this quiz? And they don't like my answer. It's usually make your quizzes so they can't look it up on Google. <laughs> that we need to be more focused on the process. And, and because they want that instant gratification, that perfectionism, I think they're losing things like productive struggle and grit and perseverance. And maybe those are things that teachers need to teach more directly now because the information is there and they need to be focusing on those kind of soft skills and habits like that. So thinking about the way that education is changing, um, what do you think is the most important ingredients to prepare teachers for the, that change? You, I mean, you talked a lot about how it's no longer teacher focused, like the teachers giving knowledge. How, how do we prepare teachers for that? Yeah, I think um, to start with, it, it has to be a part of the culture. Change is, is not something that we're going to get away from in education. There's going to be change. We're constantly learning more about how students learn. And so we're also constantly going to be responding to that in different ways. And so perfect example, I think, is in the last year and a half, we have had an, an immense amount of change. And so it's had to become a part of, of what we do. And so there's a lot of ways to manage that, but it, it has to be commonplace that we accept change and we respond to it. And that, um, you know, I think, I think leaders are a really big part of that. I don't just mean like uh, principals or district leaders, I mean teacher leaders as well. Um, they have to be able to take that change and model an appropriate response and that, that's helpful you know, for a district leader to model that change and how we respond to new things. But it's also important for a teacher in the classroom to take a new tool or a new strategy that they haven't used before and, and model that as well. And um, from my perspective as, as a district specialist, what we really focus on is, uh, you know, managing that environment and making sure that our teachers understand the why for the change. They understand what they need to do, and then we train them on the skills to get there. Um, we, we talk a lot about Noster's model for change and making sure that all of those pieces are a part of our training so that when a teacher goes to implement that change in the classroom, they have all the skills for success. And they're not missing a piece. They're, they're making sure that they're equipped to follow through and, and, and for the right reasons, because they know the why, and then they can accomplish the why in the end of the day. 
I love what you said, and I think it's important for us as tech leaders or even and school leaders to focus on what we really want to change instead of throwing out the whole, the whole gamut of what's available out there because there's always new. Like, what are those tools or pedagogies that will really move, have an impact on student learning and move us forward and learn those deeply rather than trying to learn everything and be an expert in everything? I think as well as having a culture of change, we need to have a culture of risk where risk is rewarded rather than punished <laughs> and, um, and, and innovation is encouraged rather than, you know, and it's just fine balance between what comes mandated by the district or through the state to the district and how much how much personalization a teacher is allowed to do in their classroom and how much choice they have of how that's going to be implemented and that it's okay and even encouraged and rewarded to try new things. I love what you've been talking about, like a culture of change and a culture of risk and how we want classrooms for our students to be like that, right? And you would think logically that would make sense we would want professional development for our teachers to be like that too, but so often it's not. And so um, that kind of leads us really nicely into this next question. Um, how do you foster an atmosphere of professional learning in your schools? Like how do you encourage teachers to be risk takers or to kind of go beyond their classrooms? Like I find that is a hurdle that I've faced a lot of times. I think it goes back to that modeling, right? Like as as leaders, we need to we know that there's change that has to come, and so we look at what that change is, and we look at the best way to to move through that, and that gives us an opportunity to um, to show that we're taking risks and show that we're trying new things and and being really open and transparent about the fact that we might not know how it's going to go. We know this is where we want to get to, and we have this hypothesis about how we can get there, but. At the end of the day, we're going to have to try it, and we're going to we're going to iterate on that process, and we're going to um, make adjustments, and we're going to refine the process. And at the end of the day, we might take a pivot and go go someplace else. But it, it, it all of that process is driven by where we want to get to. You know, we're we're able to define the end goal and define where we need to be. And so, as we're modeling that change, we have a great opportunity to show what it looks like to take risks and set goals and um, and also. You know, throw that out the window and implement a new goal at the same time. I think one thing we've noticed that we get the most impacted professional development if we're working with a team of teachers at a time and not just individual teacher, and we develop capacity within a school. So there's a team or even a whole school that's working on one thing, and then they end up collaborating with each other. Because we, in our district, we don't have a digital coach or a facilitator in every school. We're spread out in a number of schools. And so if we can get more teacher leaders, like Ian mentioned, and build the capacity through our EdTech endorsement program to have teachers that are modeling that risk and are willing to help each other out, I think that has affected change faster than anything we can do at a district level. Another thing is, um, a few years ago, we ran our leadership in uh, blended learning for principals and administrators, and we found that had a big impact, that not only did we need to be training teachers and involving them in this process of change and introducing them to all these new tools, but we needed to be working with administrators and as soon as they had buy-in and then they could help, I mean, they're the ones that really affect the change at that school even more than on a district level. It's that administrator is all in, then there's, they affect the culture of that school. 
Yeah, I think that well, we, we did a very similar process, and, and I think you're completely right that we look at our district and our layout of our district, and we identify those people. Principals are, are fantastic um, resources for change in their buildings. They have that relationship with their teachers, and they're, they're already building culture. And so if there's change that might, you know, come along, they're, they're a great resource. And so by building capacity with our principals and then identifying some of those teacher leaders in the building who can help support that, we get that momentum built and we, we start mm-hmm. moving forward um, and, and helping them to, to define what that change looks like in their unique context, where sometimes there is, there's unique things in every building. And there may be a particular change that we know needs to happen, but the way it plays out in each building can be different and we can still accomplish the goal. One, one other thing that we're doing in our district is that we're, as digital coaches, we're pairing with our curriculum content area coaches. And so when they're doing a initi- new initiative in a school, like we have a deep learning science initiative that we're starting this year, and we've paired one of us with each of that, like the science content specialist, and we actually help them prep their training and we go in with them and so that training is with that content and not we're not one more initiative coming on top of all the other initiatives but what they see coming in from the district level as far as professional development and support has a cohesion to it that it's all leading towards the same goals and they're not having to feel like they have all these different mandates that they have to meet or programs that they have to initiate that, that everyone's kind of on the same page leading towards that impactful learning experiences for students. So. I love how you kind of focused on um, start with a team instead of individuals. You're building capacity in groups, right? And I found that in my own experience that when I was part of a cohort of like passionate, engaged learners that I felt my learning was more uh, in depth. It was more like long lasting, right? Because there's that part of that accountability that's kind of built into that group. Um, so do you guys have an, an example of when you were part of a cohort or a team that helped build your professional learning in a way? Think about all the groups that you're a part of or uh, if you've taken an endorsement and had a cohort. Yeah, I found that um, when I started as a, a digital teaching and learning specialist, that was um, I had I'd come out of the classroom and you know got hired into that position, but I really quickly got connected with with our state ed tech community of C Forum, and then also USET being a big part of that as well. It suddenly opened the door to other people who were thinking like I was. In my building, there were there was there's me and maybe one or two others, but when I started you know, taking that and, and looking at a larger scale, turns out there are a lot of other people who are doing a lot of the same things that I was. And when you start being able to connect um, on that level, you, you begin to like, oh, you did that? Well, that would work in my classroom if I just make this small change or I can add to it. Um, and there's so much opportunity there that I, I, th- those are the people too that I continue to go back to and, and work with. I mean, I think Pam is a great example of that. Um, our district several years ago with um, with my team and, and uh, Jeannie Elder at the time and we created our uh, kind of ed tech endorsement pathway um, aligned with the state um, and and Pam was a great support in that and those are you know Pam is one of those people that as questions come up we still go back and forth she'll ask us questions we'll ask her questions and we've added to that group and it's kind of grown but it was a great starting place at that time and it, it's continued on and um, still remains a really valuable resource. 
Uh, I completely agree with Ian, and there were so much help to us and these connections that we've made across districts. When we got our, when we first started digital coaching, we knew that Canyons was already doing it, and we just said, "Can we come up for a day and shadow your coaches?" And we, you know, we've connected with Ogden and Canyons and Jordan now, and because things that we're doing the same thing, it's been so helpful. But just within my own team, I've had this. Um, position for about 15 years and the first 10 years it was me supporting 30 elementary schools and now there's 10 digital coaches and what I've been able to do or what we've been able to do as a team in our district in the last five years is about 20 times what I was able to do by myself sitting at that desk trying to figure something out like our capacity grows so much yeah. it's exponential we, yeah it's yeah. exponential it really is when we can connect with other people whether it's with the community that we built in our own group or connecting with other people that do the same um, the Google Education Group has been I'm glad Matt's starting that up again put in a plug for that um, I, I, it's been great to have those go-to people when something comes up that you don't have to spend hours researching it and you can just reach out and that question is usually answered within a matter of hours really for me yeah. <laughs> put it out on a forum a national forum and those answers come in it's just that's been great that's wonderful. Um, we we kind of touched on it with this question, but thinking about your personal network and the people that you, your go-to people, um, how would you, what steps would you give like a teacher who's like, I need something more, right? Like, where do I go from here beyond my building? What, what kind of pathway would you encourage someone who's starting to build an authentic network? What kind of pathway would you tell them, encourage them to take? Well, I would, you had mentioned our ed tech endorsement. That's kind of been a great way in our district for teachers to create some communities of practice with different grade levels and different content areas. Like in our cohort this year, we have two athletic directors from two different high schools that are actually taking the endorsement. We're getting all sorts. And they were so excited because they created a Google Sheet to do their training room check-in and check-out. And they were able to, it's been fun to see how much, application there is for all these tools and no matter what position people have in our district we've had counselors administrators but we because that they're being able to communicate you know with the people that are do what they do um, I think participating in any uh, I would start within their own school I was kind of kind of thinking these are circles like you have your own team at your school and if that you can kind of inbred your practice, <laughs> inbred your practice and do the same things. And then you could reach out to the school, find maybe one other school, get involved, go to go to trainings in your school district and then get them on a, a and we'll talk maybe in a minute about connecting through social media, which is huge, but I'm thinking these little circles start within your own group, then your own school, then your district, then the state, and then it just kind of goes global from there. I would completely agree with that. That that was, as I kind of thought about this question, like that. That's the first thing I thought of was start local, start start small, start with the teacher next door, um, or someone down the hall. Um, but then, but then start thinking about all right, you know, there's there's maybe two of us in this building. How can we get connected with a larger group? And I think um, whether it's professional development cohorts or groups that you have in your own district, or whether there may be. Um, a little bit bigger than that. Like, I mean, so much of the UEN professional development, it develops a cohort as you go through that course or that series of classes. And so uh, in our district, 
those those cohorts that are going through an endorsement program or going through their Google certification pathway, or um, maybe it's uh, you know new curriculum that we've adopted, and you've got all of these uh, teachers focusing on this new language arts curriculum. Those are a group of people that you now can reach out to, and you you begin to develop the relationships, and then those um, you know they give you a. a you don't have to think about who to reach out to. You're just like, oh yeah, we talked about that last week. Let's let's ask this question to the group and see what happens. And then, like Pam was saying, with those different levels, those different circles, it starts small, and then maybe you've got these groups in your district or other maybe, um, you know, UEN professional development, or and then beyond that. I even think of some of the the bigger organizations like we have um, ISTE, which has great resources. USET uh, is even a little smaller than that. We've got. Um, Knowledge Works is doing a lot of work in Utah and the personalized and competency-based learning area. And there's these groups that that come together for particular events. And if you continue to rely on that, you begin to build relationships and you can reach out to those people, even though the people in those groups continue to go on. Like I liked how you said you had um, some athletic directors involved. Like we found the same thing with some of our endorsements we've had. Um, instructional coaches, and we have principals involved now, and we have, um, you know, different leaders in different spaces in our district. And, and as we bring those people together, we learn from them from their unique situations, but we also learn how we can collaborate in ways that we weren't expecting before, too. And that's really exciting to bring those diverse perspectives together, uh, still within a common goal, but bring those diverse perspectives together so that we can rely on their expertise in their area. Um, so thinking about your own networks and how widespread they are, because I feel like you guys have a really good uh, feel for what's happening in Utah, uh, who are your kind of go-to people or maybe like uh, people that you would like encourage other new teachers to like connect with first? Do you have some people off the top of your head that you were like, oh yeah, you should jo- follow this person, this person, this person? I would I would say yes. I've, uh, if I'm going to recommend someone, you know, a new teacher to connect with certain people, I would I would start with social media, which I think we'll you know we can talk more about. But um, identify maybe like like Utah EdChat I think is a great example where we have a lot of people from across the state, and so that's a great starting place. It's it's bigger than just your school, your district, but it's also smaller than, say, the whole country. But it's a great place to start where there's some commonalities uh, across the things that we do in Utah. So there's some shared um, understanding there. But they're also, they have unique situations in their schools and districts that they bring to the table. I think that's a great starting place. The other one that I'll mention is, um, I know KnowledgeWorks has been putting together a lot of these peer-to-peer um, forums. They have teacher level, they have leader level, um, but they're, they're great opportunities where there's, it's a shared space, a shared space digitally where you can reach out, but you also have some occasional meetings and things too, where you can come together in a virtual, more face-to-face, I guess, or synchronous environment and present a, a challenge that you're having and get some feedback on that. And I think those, those are great places to start because you know that, uh, organizations like that, you know that they're, um, they're being very innovative in certain spaces that you can uh, expand on. And so you can say, I want to do this in my classroom. I want to be more personalized. So I'm going to align with this organization that's putting together a group of teachers that already fits in that. And you can kind of continue down the road. And it's a little bit of guidance, but also a space where you can share as well. I think um, 
just attending conferences, uh, reading books, being curious about your professional practice. And then when you find that, you know, that educator that you connect with or that you resonate with, go on Twitter or go on Facebook or go wherever they are and just kind of connect with them. And then the trick is to see who they connect to. So go onto their Twitter f profile, see who they follow, kind of follow them. And I think that's just a way to grow. That's how I've kind of grown. My network is like, oh, you know, if you just take that risk. And it was a big risk for me. I'm a little bit of the older generation. And to get on Twitter the first time was a leap, <laughs> a risk. But um, uh, that's just I mean, I love it now just because of the far reach and I can just go in and look for what I, and I love being on Utah Ed Chat. And it, like you said, somebody will make maybe a comment. They say, oh, maybe that's a teacher I should connect with. I guess don't be afraid to reach out. And don't be afraid to reach out to people that you may think are not approachable just because they have a name. Mm -hmm. You know, I've they've been great people. I was going to give the example of um, HyperDocs. You know, they have, we all know the site teacher, pay teachers, but their site for sharing is called Teacher Give Teachers. And I love that idea. And I think most educators have that mindset that we're willing to share. And I've connected, like we had Matt Miller a couple of years ago at USAID, because that's somebody that I've just followed because I just like his philosophy. And it was, he came out and he still continues to communicate with us. He's taken an interest in our in our district, in our state at USET, and people are wanting to reach out and connect. So instead of being afraid of that, or just, I think, assume that people are approachable and willing to share. Well, nice thing is with social media, is yeah. it, it makes, it, it provides an avenue to reach out to those people. You know, I don't, I don't have right. this person's phone number, but I can send them a message on, on Twitter or, or respond to a tweet with a follow-up question, and those are some really easy ways that are, I, I think, low risk um, you know they don't they don't feel too difficult to do you do have to put yourself out there a little bit but there's not really any consequence to that like you can, you can ask that question and you don't have to feel bad if, if they answer awesome you, you've connected with someone that, if they don't, that can give great information I think too that you I was trying to identify the different stages of social media like first year the lurker mm -hmm. it's okay just to get on yeah. <laughs> and see what's happening and read other tweets and then maybe you know the challenges of maybe I will make one little tweet on my own and I'm going to do it in advance so I know what to do and you just kind of get into it but don't feel like you have to jump in all at once just do it in steps and, and get on or, and it may not be Twitter it may be Facebook you kind of have to find where people live mm -hmm. uh, different people live in different social media yep. places and kind of find out where they live I, there's some great Facebook groups that we've joined mm -hmm. um, that like uh, we are using Seesaw now in our district and there's a great Seesaw users group and there's and they'll respond really quickly to questions that you put out there and there's ideas and like it is low risk I enjoy that I, I agree with what, what Ian said I was going to say one go-to person I have with Google is Eric Kurtz, mm -hmm. if anyone, see mm -hmm. Ian and Matt nodding. And, and I'm excited for our new Google Education Group to get going. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be doing some podcasting on that. That I think it'll be a great way uh, to connect across, across yeah, the Yeah, I think it's another great, it's, it's a uh, shared space. It's focused on a, on a specific thing, yeah. so I think you know Google. There's there's opportunities there, or um, even like the Canvas support community. It's not really a social media space, right. but it's a it's a great place where where people are coming and sharing ideas, 
or um, answering questions that people have. And so even a lot of the, the different tools that we use, the digital tools, um, a lot of them have a support forum with That's a very true. active community as well, which is a great place where you can learn without having maybe to put yourself out there on social media or something like that too. Um, we've kind of been talking about like there's there's so many different ways right for a teacher to kind of go beyond their classroom and connect with other teachers. Um, I guess my question there's not going to be an easy answer for this, but how do you go from like oh I'm just doing this because I have to or because I'm required to to finding like a real like authentic place and like community. Um, and or how do you kind of avoid the trap of just doing everything because you can? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I'm going to be Google certified, and I'm part of this group, and I'm part of this group, and I have this endorsement and this endorsement. You know, like, where, how do we make it, like, real for teachers and, like, important for them? You know, instead of I have to do this, I get to do this. I think it all comes back to our why mm -hmm. for for being educators in the first place. You know, we, it's easy to talk about strategies and tools and all these different things, but really it comes back to our students. You know, what, what do our students need? You know, what, what is, it may be academic content related or it may just be like relationship related. What do our students need right now? And, and I think for most teachers, most educators, it comes back to, you know, really strong desire to just you know, support our kids. And so it, it, for me, it comes back to that. If I can focus in on and remember why I'm doing what I'm doing, that's where I start to maybe gain some energy back if we're getting bogged down or something like that. But I get the energy back and I start looking for ideas. And if I remember what my students need, that's going to help guide my search. You know, if, if it's Canvas related, I, I might know the a couple places I can go look, but if I remember why I need to do this Canvas assignment and why this assignment is going to help my students reach their goals, that helps narrow my search a little bit. And so I may I may reach out to someone in another district that I know is doing something in this area, and I can I can focus it in on that. But it it all comes back to that why, and you know just remembering that our students are real people and they have real needs, and really focusing in on that. If we forget that we're gonna get really distracted and we're gonna spend our time doing all the things, which which is too much, and it, and that's not good for students either. I love that, Ian, I think we get, go down the rabbit hole, you know, because there's so much that's interesting, and as Matt mentioned this morning, you know, you, some of us have that little nerd side, and like, oh, this is interesting, I wanna do it, but I love what you said about keeping that focus of the why, is what I'm doing impacting and helping students. I think another thing that we can do to maybe help teachers get in that are reluctant or that don't know where to start is when we present new ideas or ways of doing things to tell them where we found that idea oh i found this on twitter yesterday or i just i just posted this to this group and i got an answer right away or did you know you are referring them to a to a, a help group i think that if we're um transparent about where how we do our professional learning as leaders um, a lot of times people ask me, like, oh, there's so much. Like, how do you keep up with this stuff? And I'll say, really, this is how I, I can't do it. And I think the other thing is we can't know everything, that we can't do it all, and there's so much change that we'll do it better together. Like, I wouldn't be where I am. I have a long way to go, but I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't had a whole lot of, a lot of people helping me along the way and understand. If it had just still been me in that little cubicle just by myself, you know, 
yeah. it wouldn't have grown at all. Well, I agree. It circles back to one of those first questions that we talked about, which was, you know, how do you how do you how do you support this change, or how do you implement a change? And it, it all comes back to that modeling. Like, it's okay for us to say at the end of the day, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that question, um, but I I know a few places we can look, and and that that goes back to modeling again. And you know, if we as leaders model that type of vulnerability and transparency, then our teachers are going to start modeling that for their students as well. And that's really where it comes back to. We want our students to be, you know, authentic learners themselves. They're asking questions and we want to foster that type of uh, curiosity. And if, if we can model that as teachers, as leaders, all across the board, that's going to benefit our students. Love it. Um, so thinking about uh, the spaces where you interact with other educators, what is your favorite professional learning group and why? And I'm going to have you pick a favorite. I know it's hard, but like, <laughs> which one is your favorite? I'll start on that one. I, the one that I find myself turning to the most often is um, the Google, Google Certified Trainer and Google Certified Innovator groups that I'm a part of. So those are certifications that are offered through Google. But upon receiving that certification, you get added to a group, a community. And there's a shared Google group, and there's constant almost overwhelming amount of information in that group. And it, it goes back and forth and questions. And every time there's a new update, you get 100 different people sharing their resources that they've created for that. But it's a great way to kind of, it, it's a great community to be able to ask questions to, but also just be able to sit back and learn from as well. Because as those changes come in, you know, we're all responding to them in our own districts or schools or roles. And so it's great to be able to see all of those things. And I think a good practice for engaging with those communities too is to be willing to share as well. So sometimes that's nerve wracking, but if, if you're only, if you're only in the, uh, if you're only in it to get something, you're probably not going to get as much out of it. But if you start sharing and building the relationships within those communities, that's what really makes them valuable. And from personal experience, that you know those Google certified trainer and innovator groups those were great places to start but as I started sharing to those groups they became even more valuable and I think it's because of that that they're my favorite groups today not just because I was a part of them to begin with but because I've begun to to give back to those groups too and that's I think a a good model for any teacher to take you know you're you're going to be able to learn from other people but if you're willing to give some things too uh, you're going to get more out of it in the long run. I totally agree with Ian on that, and I'll pick another group, even though that's a favorite group, uh, too. I was going to say earlier that even though you start just maybe getting uh, as the lurker or going to look for information, once you start sharing, I think you become part of the group. You feel like more you're part of the group, and you kind of have, this is my group, these are my people, and um, you can do that. I'm just going to say all things you set. So I'm going to just put a few things in there. So you said EdShot um, was mentioned earlier as a great way, you know, to put out, even if it's not just the, uh, Ed, uh, uh, EdChat time on a Wednesday afternoon, I know people are using that hashtag. Um, you said, you know, Utah EdChat and getting answers back from that community. I know after I've been online and then I see somebody you run into, like, Kara, that's probably how I got to know you first was was through EdChat. Then you feel like you have a connection to that person 
Um, I think Matt too. That's probably the first time that I they saw your name. And then the, as you said um, conferences. Just would encourage people to go to those, attend those, and talk to people. Connect with people outside your own group, or go connect with a presenter, somebody that you know. This is a great way to form relationships. And then we have our newsletter, you know, that's sending out information. We hope to be able to, and, and just the USAP board itself, encourage anybody to get involved with that. <laughs> um, that's I've been involved with that group for a while, and it's, it's my go-to group. <laughs> Even if you have to try three years in a row, keep on trying, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. I love kind of what we've been talking about here, and I think it connects back to that question of, like, how does this how do you make the shift from something you have to do to something that you get to do and that balance between giver and taker, right? Because I think in education, we can get into that habit of like survival and like, I just need something to solve my instant gratification. Like I just need the answer right now. Right. Um, but if you're constantly taking, you're not, the relationship is a two way street, right? Like you need to listen and talk and give and take. And um, that action of giving back to the group is that like turning point that makes you part of the group, like you guys were saying, and I love that. Um, because that can transform something from just, oh, I have to do this, to suddenly this is something dynamic that I'm interested in, I'm a part of, which is awesome. Well, the last question that we kind of want to wrap up for today, and it's kind of a biggie, um, it's a broad one, but why is it so important for educators to be part of a wider network? We've talked about how meaningful it has been for us, but, the big why, going back to our why, right? Well, why is it important to even bother with these professional networks? I think to be continually learning and growing in our practice impacts our students, but I think it can also help our students connect to a wider world. As we have those connections, we could connect classrooms together. We can give them some more experiences outside the walls of our classroom because we have those connections and we can open those up to our students and that's one of our ISTE student, right, the global collaborator. Also, I think if we just stay within our own school or even our own district, we can result in kind of inbred practices and attitudes and we're not growing because we've done stuff the same way for this and we're just kind of stuck maybe in a point where we are. And I think just the realization more and more that we just don't know everything. There's no way to know everything and to, to hook ourselves in or to plug ourselves into that greater group of knowledge just increases our capacity. And information, teaching, we talked about, we started talking about what's changing and just the quantum leaps we're taking in teaching and learning and the only way to stay up with it, and my belief is to be involved in a wider PLN. Because there's no te any textbook that's written, any college class that's that's given would be as outdated by the you know within months if <laughs> rather than years. Yeah, so. no, I completely agree with that. I think that the if we ever think that we've learned everything or we're, we've we've arrived or we've we've done it this way and it's perfect and it never needs to be changed, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. We always need to be learning and. It's, it's important that we understand that our environment, that our, you know, our classroom, our schools, our district, the state, um, that's constantly changing. So in order to respond to that, we also need to, be, need to be changing and just realize that we're always learning and we can always gain something from someone. And that just having that level of humility is important, I think. Um, and then to echo what you said, Pam, at the end of the day, this is another example where we get to model 
for our teachers who are modeling for our students because we want our students to be connected more broadly than just just themselves in their own little bubble. You know, they need to reach out to outside of their family, outside of their school, their city, um, those spheres of influence. And, you know, we want our students to um, have the opportunity to interact at any level, whether it's um, their school level or their, you know, the district that they're going to school in or as they get to higher ed, connecting at the college level. There's so many opportunities there. And, you know, not all of our students are going to go down all of those paths, but we want our students to have the opportunity to go into anything that they want and have any level of influence that that they really um, desire to have. And so just as 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 leaders, as teachers, as educators in general, we just need to be able to model that connectedness because it's important that we we show that we can always learn something and gain something from people who are different than we are. I think also in the past, um, teaching had been an isolating experience. You taught in your own classroom, the door was shut. And more and more, we need to feel connected to the wider community of teachers. And we'll find out that there's other people that are doing the same things we are doing or learning and growing in the same ways and that we can learn from each other. And I think connected, that connectedness that Ian was talking about to a community of educators can really be empowering and will make us not feel so isolated in our practice because it is a challenging practice. It's a challenging world, but like if we can meet it together, <laughs> You know, as a community, and I, including not just teachers, but you know, bringing other specialists, bringing our administrators, so like we're all on the same page and we're connecting with each other, thinkers that are out there. I think we can, we can meet the challenge of education in in this century. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, what would you say to people who are holdouts? <laughs> that will just say, my classroom, my rules, everything else can you know just kind of go away. Like, to me, it seems so obvious, right? Like, it's like, yeah, like, how long are you here with us? Um, no, but we, we, we all know teachers who are like that, right? So how do you get them? How do you, like, get them as part of the group? It works. <laughs> I like to approach teachers like not from the technology end or the social media end and say, you know, what, what's, your, what's your problem? What's your problem of practice or what would you like to improve or even what are you doing well that you'd like to improve and then to sneak in like, oh, here's something that I found from the source that might help you, you know, meet that or what questions do you have? I think just kind of sneaking that in of I found this here or inviting, I think just giving them a sample or a taste of, of how it's helped you and they, they need to get the why. It's getting the why. They won't do it without the why. I think I'm going to go back to something we kind of talked about earlier, but if if you can identify something that that teacher is good at that they can share, that's like actually, that. it seems like the opposite <laughs> approach, but if you start with sharing, that, that's going to start showing them that, you know, if they have something to share, so does the teacher down the hall or the teacher in the district next to us. Like, there's going to be opportunities for that, and so if you can help them see what they're really good at and willing to share, I think you can start in that area as well. And, and hopefully through sharing, they become connected as well. Oh, I love that. Instead of focusing on what they're lacking, focusing on what they have and what they could share. Well, I love it too because it's, um, 
underlines or emphasizes the fact that we're professionals, right? We are educators. We're trained in this. We have expertise. Why not celebrate that? Why not share that, right? Um, and I think it kind of gets to the point, too, that like building our networks um, is personalized for the teacher, right? Like I can choose what I'm good at or I can choose what I'm lacking and I can find people who are my people, right? Um, and that is so much better than just if something was like handed down to me, right? Um, and so if we want to build personalized learning for our students, we need to do that for our teachers as well. And that's one way to do it. So thank you. This is great. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, this has been yeah, this has good, been fun conversation. Good to think about that. And I was excited they invited Ian. <laughs> I knew he'd have lots of good stuff to add. Oh, both of you have fantastic things to say. Okay, thanks for joining us today to discuss how to make our professional learning communities personal and meaningful. I loved discussing how education, both teaching and learning, has changed over time with Pam, and also hearing Ian's perspective on the value of finding a team to learn and grow with. At the end of each episode this year, we will spotlight something in Utah that connects to the topic at hand. For this month, we would like to highlight two ways to expand your professional spheres. One, being Utah EdChat, and two, the new Utah Google Educator Group. First of all, Utah EdChat is a weekly Twitter chat, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. on different educational topics with teachers across the state of Utah and actually even beyond. Um, coming up September 29th, we are discussing esports in the classroom with Cammie Taylor from Jordan School District leading the chat. And the next week on October 6th, we are discussing strategies for online engagement and participation with Dr. Butcher from University of Utah. Consider this your invite to join the Utah Chat Fam and connect with educators all over Utah each week. It is honestly one of my favorite types of professional learning because it's fast, it's always an interesting topic, and it's great to see so many educators from across Utah on Twitter to see in quotation marks virtually each week. The second opportunity is the Google Educator Group for Utah, Gag Utah, and we'll turn the time over to Matt Winters at UEN to give us a little blurb about them as it's another opportunity for you to get involved with a professional group. So take it away, Matt. Thanks, Kira. Google Educator Group Utah, or GEG Utah, is an official Google Educator Group and is open to any teacher in the state of Utah who would like to learn about how to use Google in their classrooms. We'd also like to see more admin or district level educators in our group. We share, we get engaged, we help with best practices across the state in using Google in our classrooms. Once a month, we meet up for a wonderful meeting that is put together by our leadership team of teachers from all over the state of Utah. And we offer open trainings to teachers who would like to get certified in Google, either level one or level two. And in the future, we're going to have some open trainings on becoming a Google trainer, a Google coach, and a Google innovator. If you'd like to learn more and join Gig Utah, Click the link in the show notes to come and join one of the fastest growing and exciting groups in all of Utah. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Kira Bettis, and I will see you next time.